People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast. From the OU Insider Studios, here's your host, Brandon Drum. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome to another OU Insider post-game podcast. We're actually doing it a couple of days after the fact because our man Colin Kennedy finally got to watch the game. He was out covering the Duncanville IMG game. And with us doing the trio of the podcast, we wanted to be able to have him, you know, actually know what he's we're talking about during the post game. That would be kind of uh, efficient on our end to have him know what he's talking about it instead is, of just a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> it is a good idea to do such a thing. So, <laughs> nonetheless. I'm joined right now by Colin Kennedy and Joey Helmer. My name is Brandon Drum. We are the OUinsider.com 247 Sports staff. Uh, and this is your OU Texas postgame podcast, guys. But we were talking off air just a second ago. And the first thing that was said was, what did you think, Colin, of what you watched? And your response is, go, Colin. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell was going on. It's just like, <laughs> what am I watching right now? It's, it was crazy because I had a really hectic few days over the weekend, and I'm, I'm trying to catch up on what's taking place. And obviously you mentioned I was at Duncanville IMG, and across the street from Globe Life Park where the game was taking place is Texas Live. And Texas Live, I mean, you can almost hear the crowd from inside Globe Life Park, it was that deafening. And I think for me to finally settle in and watch some of the game, I couldn't tell if it was just really entertaining football or just two bad football teams playing each other. I have still no idea. And I think we're going to dissect that here in a second. But overall, man, this is as entertaining, as confusing of an outing it was for Oklahoma and Texas, for that matter. And I think it's going to be very interesting to dive into the, the nitty-gritty of it all. Yeah, Joey, what's your what's your uh, you you were saying? I, okay, so just so everybody knows, I said something similar of what Colin just said. I, I before we came on air, I said it was either two really good teams going at each other, or they were just two bad teams just playing really bad football. We can't really decide which is which right now. Joey, go. You were in the middle of saying something before we started, and I think two days later, like we think the same thing. Like it, it was, I, I don't know if it was two bad football teams or it was an epic game or what, what like where I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around like what we even saw. Like that was the craziest, like weirdest game I think I've ever seen. It, it was, it, I, I, I don't know. I, first off, I don't think it ever should have went to overtime. Uh, Oklahoma should have closed them out. And, the clock issue with like six minutes to go. How does no one in the stadium see that? Like, how do they? We're put, all guilty. We're all guilty. How, how do they put four, 36 extra seconds on the clock and none of us noticed it? Like, like that, that right there, that little stretch was basically epitomized the whole game, right? Like, it was so crazy and like none of us understood what was going on. Like, I, I don't know, but almost oh, oh. everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and it all combined for something that was just so right. It was awesome. 
They won the game. Like, <laughs> Oklahoma somehow won that game. I, I, I mean, on the ride home, I was like, well, gosh, like, they played four overtimes. It, I don't know if it was – I don't know if they played particularly well. Defensively, I thought they played really well for most of the game, but, like, they still won. Like, at the end of the day, I, I don't care how ugly it is. They, they somehow got a W. Yeah, so <laughs> that – you guys both put it in a really good – perspective there for everybody but for me like you said how did nobody see the 36 seconds added onto the clock well i think people did i think they looked up at the clock and looked back down and saw there was 36 seconds they probably thought their eyes were deceiving them the first time around when they were looking at the clock going oh i must have thought it was something completely different earlier but the fact that the clock manager or the people that are up there in charge of it didn't notice it from my understanding, and I don't know because I didn't get, I haven't got to. Did, Colin, you can probably you watch the the broadcast of it. Did Joe Clatt notice the additional thirty six seconds? It wasn't really talked about from the the broadcast side of things, and I think it's all been kind of like the social media aftermath, if you will. I think if it weren't for Twitter, that thing might have gone like completely unscathed, to be honest. Well, it, Joe Class reaction, I was watching it, writing my uh, 247 uh, insider team notes uh, last night, and I was using something that he said in there. So I went on YouTube and transcribed what he had said. And um, he, he said that like right after the game, he said the clock issues are going to be something they talk about. And... I guess he they before he did it, they noticed that there was an issue with the clock or the 36 seconds because how, how soon after the game did all that come up? Because I don't remember hearing much about it even after the game. I think it came up. I probably started to see tweets about it when I left Arlington to start driving to Denton. So probably like two or three hours Afterwards, I started to see some tweets about it, but that was mm-hmm. just my Twitter feed. I, I mean, not, it could be different for you guys. I was right. getting text messages uh, when I was driving home. I, I was getting text messages uh, of people sending me screenshots of, like, when they snapped the next play, when they snapped the play before. And I actually wrote a story about it yesterday. But mm-hmm. I, I think I think there were a lot of people in the – you know, at home that noticed it, sort of, certainly, that were watching yeah. the game on TV. But and Lincoln actually said today that they questioned the officials about it and thought they were going to stop and, and talk about it, and they didn't, and says, you know, quote, we were not happy about it over on our sideline and didn't get a ton of explanation on it. So it's like they talked about it and they still put the extra time on the clock. That, like, that seems very watch. shady. But I mean, here, look, look, I'm not one to do, you know, officials get away, but, or or we're going against Oklahoma. I I hate that excuse. I hate the official excuse, but some of those past interferences that they called on OU the other night was downright blasphemous. What was it? A holding call, I think on his interception earlier in the game, the first, yeah. On the first drive, he didn't hold. Gosh, yeah. have you really that watched old? that? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it, 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 I, I'll never forget. So uh, I'm trying to think of the guy. He's a Tulsa uh, TV guy that was right behind us. He's a Big Ten guy. What's his name? Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, um, it's a Caden McFarland. Yeah, Caden McFarland. Yeah, Caden McFarland. So he, he was sitting behind us and we turned and talk and he goes, he goes, Brandon, this, this conference eats itself alive. And I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right, Caden. I was like, I, I, he, he is so right. The way they call pass interferences and holding, they're not allowed to do any sort of physical contact at all. Not, the second the ball snap, you cannot breathe on that receiver or it is a penalty. Or at least that's what it seemed to be on OU side, which was really weird because – they're, they did allow – I will say they did allow them to be physical uh, later on in the ballgame. But the first two quarters, there was a there was a pass interference in the back of the end zone, Buki, that was clearly uncatchable. Clearly uncatchable. 
And they still called it. And then when you watch the replay, Buki didn't touch the guy. The guy dove for the ball. And you were like, what is going on? And, and that right there is it epitomizes this conference really does with the way it's officiating has been this season and even dating back to previous years, it does. It eats itself alive. It does not allow them, as Caden put McFarlane uh, from Tulsa, uh, he said, uh, what was it, that when they play against other teams that are physical and the, the officials aren't Big 12, that's where these – because they're conditioned to be soft. And that's a good point. This conference is conditioned to be soft the way they're officiated. You can't do anything physical. Is that, is that, is that, do you all agree with that? 100%. It's like, like I, I tweeted it, you know, people are probably getting used to me tweeting this like every week during an Oklahoma game, but like, we talk about we Oklahoma's defense, right? Like we we critique it all the time. We mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they've been good defensively over the last few years. They've been bad defensively. But when you can't make it make a play a game changing play like that, when you actually don't hold the guy and you pick off a pass, like that puts so much pressure on your defense. And that's that's what leads to all these big big point big yardage games that Oklahoma's has had defensively because when you make plays like that you know you get the ball back that's a that's a takeaway instead you're back on the field for three more plays you, you know i mean it, it, only bad things can happen when, when you're forced to play defensively when you've already made the plays and the stops to get off the field and, and so yeah i completely agree with what Caden said it, it's it's routinely something we see in not just in Oklahoma games. It's around the league. It's, I mean, you pull up any game um, in this league and you'll see questionable calls like that, that like in the SEC, they let them play a lot more physically on the defensive side of the ball. And it just, in my opinion, it really takes away from the game. Yeah, it's probably a lot of what has to do with some of the Big 12's struggles with maintaining a positive reputation, I would assume. I, I think, obviously, when the officiating is as difficult as it is specifically in the Big 12 conference, considering all of the various offensive systems that you see week in and week out, I, I'm never going to sit here and absolutely dog on the rest because, as we've mentioned, it's it's number one, just not the right thing to do. And right, much yeah. Much more difficult job than I think we all talk about. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, I I definitely think there's something to the fact that the Big 12 has maybe had an officiating problem that has been recurring over the past few seasons. And I just don't know how you go about fixing that. That's my biggest thing is, yes, it can be seen as an issue, but an issue is something typically that you can fix. And I just don't know if this is just something that Oklahoma is going to have to live with as with the other nine teams in the Big 12 conference right now. Yeah, because I feel like, and I agree with you, Colin, because I feel like Oklahoma, as far as, and I know this is going to sound weird saying it, but hear me out on it. As far as their style of play, they play more SEC style, like as far as running the ball, they're physical, um, they're, they got the big athletic receivers, or even the fast guys are just, they're just stronger, more physical guys, even for their size. Um and then on the defensive side, they do the same. They do a lot of press man. They do a lot of get up in your face, bump and run. They don't. They try not to allow you to get off the ball. They play an SEC style in a very finesse conference. And when you do that, you're going to be susceptible to calls as such that happened the other day. And I don't think you can gripe about it. I think that it's something that is just part of it. But I think – Caden McFarland is right. It does tend to condition these guys after they're over here trying to be physical and trying to do things to whereas now they're like, okay, I I touch them. I'm going to get a penalty called on them. So now when you get in a bowl game against somebody else and these other teams are physical and they look around for the official going, why aren't you calling this? We get this call all the time in our conference. That I I think is, is the issue, but that's a cultural problem. You know, that's a culture problem in the conference, within the conference. That's the thing that is 
an officiating problem because the officials are calling the way everybody else in the conference plays. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think so. I think culture is one thing. I also think when we talk about culture and officiating, it's for me, the penalties were such a key aspect in this football game because yeah, just had 10 Oklahoma had 11 for 121 total yards. I, I, I don't care how many flags are being thrown. You can't have 11 penalties for a grand total of 120 plus yardage. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it's not good. Again, whether or not the referees are impacting the game in a negative manner or not, it's about team discipline at the end of the day. And I think that, yes, there, there could be a culture issue when it comes to officiating in the Big 12 Conference, but if it's that culture's issue, don't make it your own, if that right. makes sense. And no, think, that, that, that's right. Yeah, you can't, you can't fall susceptible to it. you got to play your game. Exactly. And this was a situation where both squads kind of fell into that issue, and it, it – really shaped the football game overall it's not great you definitely don't want to see it but it happened and i think oklahoma has to learn from that quickly because this thing could have easily gone the other direction if even one or two more flags have been thrown oh no i i agree 100 percent so let's let's talk about guys that stood out to you guys uh guys that stood out to you guys well that was an awful way of phrase that guys that stood out in during the game, uh, what, what was your who who was the top two offensive players for you and the two top defensive players for you? Colin, we'll go you first. Okay, um, I, I obviously running it back. I really wanted to to key in on what was going on up front and what was going on in some of the positions of question. So for me, offensively, I want to highlight TJ Pledger. That was a guy that I kind of hyped up going into the season at running back, and he just looks really good. I, I thought the running backs were very sound, led by Pledger. They didn't necessarily bust any for major gains, but they were very efficient, and TJ just ran the ball hard. Um, I would highlight him specifically. and I, I thought that, okay, there was a lot of talk about Spencer Rattler, obviously, and him growing up, but I thought Anton Harrison grew up before our eyes. I was very impressed with the true freshman, how he handled the stage at left tackle, and I think that offensive line as a whole really took a step forward in this game, and a lot of that had to do with the fact, in my opinion, that Anton Harrison didn't necessarily look like a true freshman left tackle going up against the Texas Longhorns. So those would be my two offensive guys. Defensively, Look, Perrion Winfrey had the the block field goal and everything, but I think Josh Ellison is a stud right now, guys. He can absolutely go up front. He's really provided a boost defensively. And then also, I thought Jaden Davis had a pretty good game. I mean, he had a couple of pass breakups and really looked comfortable. Obviously, those defensive backs as a whole were up and down, Jaden Davis included, but Look, we, we talked a lot about how Jaden Davis was really going to have to step up this season, and I think there were some moments where he had some very big plays that helped Oklahoma's defense out a ton, and I think I definitely feel like he deserves some recognition for that. So those would be some of the four that I would highlight from the game specifically. Also, Isaiah Thomas, Joey, was a stud. Uh, it's almost like you're just about to speak for me because <laughs> – that is who I was going with. Uh, man, he was an absolute menace the other day. I, I <laughs> yeah, He was in the backfield. You look, a sack in three three hurries. And he had the uh, the fumble recovery. Man, he was he was really good up front. I like all the guys that you picked. And, and also, for me, Woody Washington in the secondary, to me, was an absolute difference maker. Uh, like. He, he has to be out there uh, a lot moving forward. He, he was fantastic. Obviously, he had the interception and uh, a breakup. But I, I thought from a coverage standpoint, he was really, really good. On the other side of the ball, yeah, Pledger. Um, I, I think, you know, you talked in depth about him. And um, I, I think – well, I know we'll get into this more as, as we kind of go along with the show here, but – uh, Austin Stogner, if he makes that catch on the third down play, I think we're having as much of the discussion about Lincoln Riley's late play calling if he comes up with that catch. But I would like to single him out for the catch he made in overtime. That third down, that touchdown uh, that he had was a phenomenal competitive catch. And 
Uh, I mean, I, I I don't know how he caught the ball, honestly. I mean, yeah. it, it, he was in so much traffic there and, and brings it in, and uh, Oklahoma eventually wins the game in large part because of that play. But uh, six catches for 56 yards in that score, I thought um, he was – uh, certainly a, a big contributor for Oklahoma. Yeah, um, um, for me, obviously, I think offensively you have to single out Stogner just because not only did he have that big catch in overtime, he came back the very next play to start the final overtime, or no, the third overtime, right, and made a huge catch to put Oklahoma down on the two-yard line. Um, so he made some big time catches now i i've talked to some people there's not a bigger competitor than austin stogner and he took that drop pretty hard from what i'm he told was so frustrated you could tell yeah. it's like he he never drops that you could tell how frustrated he was well it's not just that so uh you, you can't talk about austin stogner without talking about him getting the breath knocked out of him earlier in the game when he hits the ground really hard but as he's getting up and walking back to the sideline, he stops the trainers, turns around and points and starts yelling at the Texas guys and then turns back around and walks off. I mean, that is the epitome of Austin Stogner to a T. He is an animal. It's <laughs> so that, competitive. Isn't that peak OU Texas though? Like, <laughs> it's just peak Stogner. If you know oh, Stog, man. if you know Stogner, you're, I covered him in high school. Um, I watched him, the, the DB for uh, uh, LSU, the, that was a freshman last year. What's his name? Um, I'm drawing a blank now. Eric Stingley? Yeah, it's Stingley. Colin, do you remember? You probably do remember this. Remember when they go up, they go up one on one uh, in the opening finals, and he comes down over Stingley and he catches the ball and they hit the ground. But as they're getting up, Austin drops the ball or throws it down on Stingley's chest as he's laying down on the ground and tells him he'll never be able to hold him. <laughs> that is so that's stuck. One. That's Stogner to a T right there. I mean, he is just. He's different. I think OU fans are going to learn to love that. They're going to learn to love him. He is, he's got a lot of gronk in him. Uh, just doesn't put up with a lot of crap. Uh, and he's so physical and he loves to play physical. He just doesn't, he, he's, he's tough. So I, I'm going to have him as one of my offensive guys. Um, and then my second is obviously going to be TJ pleasure. Um, I, the way he played during that game was phenomenal. Um, obviously he even had a, a big run that uh, there was a fumble. Uh, so that, that, that sucks for him, but, and that, that run was tough cause he was carrying dudes. So he came out and played with a different, he, he played like the four star that everybody thought he was out of high school is what he, what he did. He showed everybody that's who he was. And that, that's, that's, that's the, the pleasure that everybody saw at IMG and, and before he went to IMG in California. So, I think that people are starting to see that the game's slowing down for him. Therefore, he's he's playing better. I thought Theo Weiss was another guy that really stepped up. Uh, he had, what, eight catches out of ten targets. Granted, he didn't have a lot of yardage, but the catches that he made, those they were competitive catches. I mean, tough catches. That two-point conversion, no, Rattling just put that thing dime piece on it. Oh, my gosh, that was an amazing throw. But the catch was so hard because he had to really concentrate with him splitting the defender to get it to him. So um, I, I, I would go – I know I added one more, but I just think those three were just so crucial in the ball game for Oklahoma. Those three guys made some big-time plays and big-time situations to really elevate Oklahoma and allow them to win even late in the ball game. Defensively, guys, I, I'm going to go with David Uwegbu as one of them. Uh, I I know that he only finished with six tackles, uh, but he did have a sack. Uh, he did have two tackles for losses. And um, I believe he had a block and a QB hurry, and I think he had a fumble, right? He forced a fumble uh, early in the first half. He blocked uh, that punt. Yeah, he blocked a punt. Huge punt. Yeah. yeah, it was massive. Um, 
Yeah, how hmm. long has it been since, by the way, it, since we've seen a game-changing play like that in the in the special teams? Like a, and they had, they had, they two. had two of them. Yeah, they had two of them. They it's been a, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I also thought um, I'm going to go with Nick Benito because I thought I thought he was because uh, you guys already named Isaiah, you guys already named um, uh, Josh Ellison, but I I thought Nick Benito played really well. I, I know Woody Washington was one I had on my my radar as being a really good guy and uh, a guy that really stepped up because I thought he played phenomenal uh, in coverage. But I really thought Nick Benito he he seemed to be in the backfield causing problems for uh, Ellinger all night long. And to me, I thought that was huge because there was a lot of times that, and I know Ellinger thrives under chaos and moving around, but there was a lot of times and Benito was the cause of that sack because he forced him up into the pocket, into the hands of whoever it was, whether it's Isaiah Thomas or Ellison or Winfrey, whoever, he forced them up into the pocket to where that sack was allowed to be made. So I think you've got to single out the way that Benito has played. Cause I think he's played phenomenal, even in losses against Iowa state, he was phenomenal against Iowa state as well. So uh, those, those would be my two guys. Um, what if you had a game changing defining moment? Oh man. Which one? What, what, what would it be? You don't have to, you can, let's try to be different and see if we can gander up maybe three, three different plays that we all think were, was a, a crucial moment in the ball game. Alan, you yeah. want to go first here? I, I, I can, I, I think <laughs> Joe, you mentioned one. I, I'll, I'll rattle off one in, in regular time and then i'll win in overtime that's right? what i'm gonna try to do too here yeah i think I, we're being too we're we're, we're kind of taking a cop out if we only do overtime so much so much happened that we're just trying to take the easy way out but i'm gonna try and stick to my guns here i, I think joey mentioned it but it's really something to kind of expand on the, the decision by lincoln riley to throw on third and nine with what roughly two minutes left in the fourth quarter mm-hmm if if the play works, it is seen as one of the most genius play calls of the season. It it didn't work though, and everyone on the broadcast in the stands or watching the game at home is thinking to themselves, "What on earth is Lincoln Riley doing?" I mean, is this another episode of his late game management that goes a, a str- away? And I think. Stogner, obviously he could have caught it. It's just I would have ran the ball there as well. I, I see what he's trying to do. But, like, I single that out because, okay, we talk about the the slip-up in clock management from the ref's perspective. But, I mean, if, if Lincoln Riley manages that play, then maybe the added time from the referees is kind of negated to a degree because you're running a ton of time off the clock if you just run the ball forward with pleasure for a gain of one, who knows? I mean, that for me was a big deal because it really could have taken away some opportunities for Texas, especially because they started with the ball on that game-tying drive on like the 16-yard line. So they needed every second they could get. And then in overtime for me, I love the decision to go for it on fourth down and goal on about the one-yard line. It, it Like – it just seems like Spencer Rattler is trying to will Lincoln Riley to go for it on fourth down on a couple of different occasions. And he could have easily kicked a field goal there and just seen what the overtime period held for Texas. But at the same time, I, I love the fact that they just went for it and they trust in the fact that one yard is one yard and that offensive line was going to pick it up with a quarterback sneak and it, and it worked out. So those for me were two huge plays that you could talk about moving forward as the season progresses. By the way, I, I would like to give a, a game ball to Tom Herman for calling that timeout before that fourth down play because Oklahoma was going to throw the ball, and I don't think it was going to work. It wasn't. <laughs> I don't think it was going to work. And that timeout allowed them to, like you said, run the ball and score there. Um, so I'll, I'll go a little bit of a different direction because we, we kind of are trying to do that, like Brandon said. Uh, to me, the very first drive of the second half, Oklahoma forces a three and out. 
Perion Winfrey has the hurry. And then on the third down play there, and then Marvin Mims has a 36-yard return that sets Spencer Rattler up as he returns into the game. I think um, as much as Lincoln Riley has been publicly criticized for some of the play calling, to me, one of the best decisions he made was bringing Spencer Rattler back into the game. After he benched him in the second quarter, I think the message got across. And I think without question, the best chance to win the game was to have Rattler in the game. And to me, that was a pivotal uh, turning point. When they brought him back in, they benched him, kind of reset things. And after you get that three and out in the return, Oklahoma scores and takes the lead. Promptly scores and takes the lead there and goes up 24-17. To me, that was an absolute turning point. Um, in the game and I don't know when, when you <laughs> when you look to overtime it was gosh it was just so crazy right but uh, I, I come back to uh, the Stogner play to me I just think it, it seemed like when Texas scored uh, quickly in overtime that things were slipping away and Oklahoma might not win this game and it's third and uh, I believe it was third and goal third and eight I think um, it was third and goal, but th- just the magnitude of that catch, if you have to go to a fourth down play and the game's on the line, um, who knows if they convert it. To me, uh, um, equaling the game up there, I'll, I'll say that was uh, an obvious turning point in overtime. Yeah, I like all of you guys' uh, the answers there. Uh, for me in regulation, <clears throat> it has to be the, uh, the block punt. Um, we talked about it earlier. I thought that that was just a momentum-changing uh, play and allowed Oklahoma to be fairly dominant for the rest of the the, the majority of the rest of the game uh, until the final three minutes, four minutes of the game. They were dominant, and, and, and it was about that point that you kind of felt that or during that time that Oklahoma wasn't going to be denied and they were going to win that ball game. Um in overtime, again, we talked about it earlier, the Stogner play. I just thought that was just – Rattler had nothing. He was rolling and running around trying to find something because he couldn't run. They turned to each other. Like, like you've, seen him, you've seen him in high school, like, making yeah. catches. But, like, we kind of turned to each other and we're like, holy crap. Like, yeah. how did he catch that? Yeah, no, it was because it, the guy was tripped all over him. It was unbelievable. That if if they were going to call pass interference at any other point in the ball game, that was pass interference. The way oh my he, God. he was, I mean, he was a the guy was he basically was a backpack, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, it was it was kind of funny to see, but Stogner just muscled through it and 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 that he he didn't go. He just threw him off of him too. He's like, there, take it, I. I just scored on you, dude, and this obviously went crazy. And the whole place, I just the press box, everybody was like, "Wow!" Like, because it was, it was unbelievable. Not only was it a great catch, it was a great throw because Spencer put it to where only Rattler, oh, where only where Starter got it. He put it up high where only he could get to it. If he puts it anywhere else, that ball's batted down and. There, I think it wasn't a third down, so that was going to be fourth down on the very next play. Um, so th- that was that was a huge play. It was massive. So uh, for me, and, and then obviously the very next play was just as big because it was the start of the, the third overtime and Stogner gets the, what, 20-yard catch down to the two. So no, I uh, was wrong. It, it- it was a third down, but it was uh, it was third and eight at the eleven. Not that that's incredibly important. It wasn't third and goal, but still, it was an eleven yard touchdown. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, regardless, it's a big. It was a big touchdown. So uh, it, it, this, I think, I think we all named some really big plays to the ball game, and that that game was laced with them. I think, regardless of some of the the, I guess how gross the game was played at some points in during time. I'm trying to think of the right 
adjective to use, but I, I'm, I'm not coming up with a very good one. Um, he was tumultuous. I mean, oh, that's a good word. I, I, you know, I'm going to lob a big word out there, but like you mentioned how gross it was, Brandon, with all the penalties and everything. I also really want to highlight one play in overtime that I think goes incredibly overlooked, but to me, it changed the course of the game. We talk about the penalties and everything, and I think that Isaiah Thomas drawing that holding call on Texas' last drive, I mean, I, I really don't know what happens if he doesn't get that call because people have to remember the moment that Isaiah Thomas gets that holding call, and he gets hurt on the play. I mean, his shoulder gets banged up. That backs up Texas 10 yards. They're in a dire situation. They just look lost. They throw that ball out in the flat, which is caught for a loss. They just looked out of sorts. And I think Isaiah Thomas's holding call set them back, and they just didn't know how to respond. So for me, that was another completely game-changing moment because if Texas has good field position in that situation and there is no call, who knows how the game ends in that, in that situation. So, man, Isaiah Thomas's holding call in the final drive for Texas was, was monstrous in my it could be a season-changing moment if uh, Isaiah is banged up bad. So, I mean, he was down there for a while. Uh, it, I don't remember. I think he tried to get up, and then he just came back, and he just laid back down, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't know what his circumstance is. I haven't, I haven't really dug on it yet, being that it's a bye week, uh, and not a lot's going to be happening anyways. I'm sure they're taking some time off. Uh, from practice and probably doing just weights and rehab and stuff like that for the most part in film. But, uh, did, uh, have you heard anything Colin on, you know, what he possibly happened to him? No, I haven't heard much. Typically, like you mentioned during the bye week you allow time for recovery and then you see if the situation is serious or not. So we'll follow it. But right now I haven't heard anything groundbreaking on his situation. Yeah, I don't know. I think that would be bad if he's out because they're already without um, Redmond and Perkins, which we haven't even got into the Perkins situation. And I don't know that I want to get into that situation just because it's, uh, I mean, look, people, this is out of a lot of people's hands. So I guess the best way to put it is, you'll know when the NCAA decides on what they're going to do with it. I mean, that's about as best you can put the situation because I, I mean, it's a, I don't even know how to word half this stuff because it's just so weird and how it all played out. So, um, like coach speak is always going to go to control what you can control. Right. So I would just say to the fans, appreciate what you can appreciate because Isaiah Thomas, Perry on Winfrey, Josh Ellison, Nick Benito, the guys that are actually in the game played very, very well. And you have yeah. to give them their praise right. at the end of the day, just appreciate who is on the field right now and who is able to be on the field because the guys who were, did everything possible to make sure that Oklahoma got the victory without Rocky on Saturday. Yes. And I think that was lost because of the Perkins news. I think a lot of people just let it go and were trying to harp on the Perkins situation more than they were the victory. I think with every note that I put up at Perkins, I would say, enjoy the victory. My goodness, people stop worrying about this because regardless of the fact that he's not going to be there, He's either there later on in the season or he's not. You've already proven you can win without him, so move on. It'd be great to have the all-conference guy there, but if he's not going to be there, he's not going to be there. That is, that's it. That's all you can do. You can sit there, you can worry about it as a fan. It's not going to change anything. You're still not going to have Redmond. You're still not going to have a Perkins this year for the most part, so that's that. So you just move on and enjoy the guys that you have because – if by chance you do get both those guys back, which I do think Redmond for sure will be back uh, next year, you're going to be that much better. Then you add Marcus Hicks to the fold. Roberson's another year older. I mean, th- you're looking at a lot of talent. And then you're going to bring in the Kelvin Gilliams of the world. I mean, the Isaiah Coe. So you're, you're getting better each and every year. You're getting deeper. 
And this 2021 squad for Oklahoma looks to have some really good pieces coming back and it could be a special run for OU. I think that's how I would look at it. Uh, enjoy what you have now and really, really enjoy what you have in 2021 potentially, because it can be fun. It could be a fun ride for Oklahoma fans. Um, uh, Colin, let, let's, let's talk about, since we talked about the OU Texas game, uh, we, we did, we broke that down pretty well. How was that IMG Duncanville game? Like, what what stood out to you? Oh, it was boring. It was rough. I got to tell you guys, you you definitely were at the better football game because. So one of my guys is Kamari Wilson, the number one safety in the class of twenty twenty two. He's an IMG Academy guy, just a great kid. I've really enjoyed getting to know him in the course of recruiting, and I just met up with him in the IMG locker room afterwards to talk to him, and he was like. Dude, they couldn't touch us in our secondary. They could not throw the ball. And he was right. I mean, Duncanville, I felt like had maybe one pass of more than like 15 yards. It was that kind of game. It was brutal to watch. Obviously, Duncanville is transitioning from Jaquin and Jackson, who's now with the Texas Longhorns, to Grayson James, who has offers from like UAB and ULM. So Duncanville isn't necessarily what it is from an offensive perspective, but it just, it looked for a while, like honestly, some JV football, there was just not much fireworks. The defenses weren't necessarily that challenged. It was a rough game, but obviously IMG is, it's hard to look good against them. They are, Zach Poff said today, maybe the best team that has ever been assembled at IMG Academy. And for good reason. I mean, they have, dudes at every level basically looking like a a college team right now so it wasn't necessarily the most entertaining ticket in the state of texas i think that's a safe statement but yeah i mean i was able to gather a ton of recruiting intel and we're gonna have a ton of stuff on ou insider coming up not just from that game but from the other games that i hit this weekend and at the end of it all i mean savion bird played well guys I, i thought he had a really good game. It was his first game back at offensive tackle for Duncanville in like a year. He played primarily defensive tackle for Duncanville last season. So him alongside Jalen early and, and Cam Williams, the right tackle, all three are Oklahoma offers. I thought they played very well on the offensive line for Duncanville. Uh, Rod Daniels is a Baylor committed wide receiver for Duncanville who balled out even with quarterback struggles. So, you know, It was a rough game, honestly, but it was very interesting to see these two teams go at it. And honestly, IMG, I think, is going to coast to a high school national championship this season. I just don't see anyone challenging that squad at all throughout this 2020 year. So what did you think of Mario Boer? Amari looked good. Amari, I, I first By the way, 2022, 2022, four-star, potential five-star edge rusher uh, for Duncanville, yeah. who we're talking about. Big OU lean or has been for quite some time. Grew up a big OU fan. Family has Oklahoma ties, or OU ties. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I talked to him afterwards as well. He's a great kid, and he obviously really likes Oklahoma, Texas. He was telling me he's been on a virtual to – Washington, just a really unique situation for him. And I think in the game, look, IMG may have the nation's best offensive line without question. I thought Duncanville was probably the only offensive line that could challenge them, but it showed to me that Amaria Borg goes up against those guys in practice because mm-hmm. against IMG's mm-hmm. offensive line, he was having a pretty good day. My only, my only thing with him, sometimes he was very eager to bat down passes but I, I think I completely understood the situation he was in. It's so hard to generate a pass rush against IMG that for him, disrupting passes was probably the way to go. And I completely agree with his approach. But when he was all ears pinned back in pass rushing, he was very, very good. And I think there's a reason why so many people, even when I was standing to line to enter the game, were like, hey, have you seen this Amari Boer kid? He's a freaking monster. He had a really good game, man. I really enjoyed watching him off the edge, and I think he's only going to get better. That's why Oklahoma, Texas, some of the major programs across the country want the guy, and I can only imagine what his ceiling is going to be at the next level. Yeah, what what, what was your gut? Uh, From what I'm told, and I'll just go ahead and see if it lines up with what you're hearing, uh, Oklahoma is still the clear leader. Uh, Texas is trying to make a good run at it, but – They've got some ground to make up with him quite a bit. Um, 
when it comes to him, just because of the family aspect with Damari, I think, uh, and the fact that he grew up an OU fan, uh, I'm sure the game the other day probably helps Oklahoma. Uh, the the instability at Texas right now would probably help Oklahoma. Uh, so um, and I know OU's pushing hard. I can tell you that for a fact. They want him. They want Amari aboard really bad. Um, and and for those that don't know, Caleb Caleb Williams was at the game uh, with Savion. Bird's family sitting up there, obviously from the Sooner Summit. They got to know each other, came down and watched the game uh, with his family. Caleb Williams and his family came down and watched the game. Um, and so they met and talked with the Birds and the Boars. So uh, I thought that was an interesting little note about the game as well. You got the five-star quarterback commits in town. That was on, we broke that on OUinsider.com um, on Saturday during the game. Uh, but what as far as the abort stuff goes, does that line up kind of what you're hearing? Yeah, I, I definitely think that Oklahoma and Texas are kind of at the forefront of this battle. And I think Oklahoma has established a good position. I talked to him about both programs and both talked to him basically every single week. I think this one's going to take a little while to sort out. But I, I do I do think that Oklahoma is in a very good position with a bore situation specifically. So I, I think Oklahoma fans should be very encouraged about that recruitment. I, I think that it's going to be hard for them to be maybe dethroned as the current leader. But at the same time, I mean, Texas, he was telling me they, they, they have shown that they want him very bad. So we'll see how it all sorts out, man. But Amari Bohr and Oklahoma definitely in good standing as his recruitment takes place. Well, what about what about Savion? I know people want to talk about. I I I still, from everything that I hear, and I even talked to sources before the game and even after the game, it's Oklahoma, and that's what they said. They said, "Dude, buzz with LSU, buzz with SMU, Texas is trying to get in there, but to catch Oklahoma with with Bird seems to be a, a pretty tough." thing to do especially if you're LSU and and mom and dad haven't been out there to see the campus they don't think they're ever going to be able to get out there at least right now they're going to try to but they don't think that that's going to happen here in the, anytime soon and then you have uh, where he's been to Oklahoma his mom loves the Sooners his mom is very pro Oklahoma his stepdad was SMU seems to be leaning a little towards Oklahoma at this point uh what was your take on that? Because people I spoke to said that they really feel like it's still OU there. Yeah, I, I think we were able to grab him after the game. And one of the things that stood out and going through the audio was that he's still hoping to take official visits before making a decision. And look, we have no idea when official visits are actually going to be able to take place. Mm -hmm. And so with that being the case, while Oklahoma is in a very good position, it's hard for me to just run away with any one squad. I do think right now it's Oklahoma, LSU, SMU, and then Texas is in a, in a world of its own kind of in the fourth spot. But those three teams, to me, will still be in a battle, especially once official visits can take place. Because if he's true to his word and he's going to wait until going on official visits to these respective campuses – then you just never know with these. Yeah, that's true. So that's that's why I'm I'm going to remain a little bit hesitant to predict anything with Savion Bird. Again, Oklahoma is in a good spot. LSU is in a good spot. SMU is in a good spot. He's he's been around those campuses this off season, so we'll see. But again, if the official visit factor for me is a very big deal. Yeah, that's not going to happen for this class. Sorry. Um, <laughs> not happening. That's why I'll stick with my Oklahoma just because I have some other stuff that I know. Uh, just from speaking to Savion privately, I've reported on it on OU Insider of why I feel very confident. And Steve Wiltfong is the same. He feels very confident about Oklahoma and where they stand as well, um, even to this day. So uh, we have our reasonings. But um, as far as... Uh, Joey, bring you back in here. I guess finalize this, your thoughts on the game and what 
uh, how do you see this playing out for Oklahoma the rest of the season, barring injury, barring, you know, was this was this game the big game that really pushes them towards, you know, the, the finding out these young guys finding out how to win a ball game, and are they able to? keep up that even though you know there's a bye week that can come sometimes stop momentum can they sustain that heading into tcu beat tcu and then have that propel them continue to propel them throughout the 2020 season yes 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 and yes um this was a critical game on so many levels for oklahoma you you talk as you guys have just addressed recruiting like Oklahoma's got momentum in that department. And had Oklahoma lost this game, it really could have been a major step in the wrong direction in terms of not only the season, but recruiting and maybe taking away some of that momentum. And so, yeah, it's it was absolutely critical that Oklahoma won that game. However, they were able to win that game. And – uh, they, they found a way to get it done. It's I truly believe it could be a turning point um, game for Oklahoma. You look at the TCU um, game coming up, and I think something that's interesting, when, when you look at the league so far, like who, who do we consider the teams as of right now that like are the toughest teams in the league? Iowa State, K-State. Oklahoma State obviously is in the top ten now. And, you know, you felt like you needed to beat Texas in TCU. Like, those are some of the teams. Like, I guess Oklahoma's kind of have gone through the – going to have gone through the gauntlet after this next game, I think, is a fair way to say it. You're going to go to Lubbock after that. But in many ways, if Oklahoma can win its next game, there's a reason to believe they – could kind of start to roll like Oklahoma state is the one team on the schedule now to where you don't feel completely comfortable. You can match up with them, but you still have to play Kansas. You still get to play Baylor. You still get to play West Virginia, like teams that aren't considered contenders to win the league. Right. So that, that, to me is why that win was so critical. Now you have two losses. It would be really nice if you only had one loss, but Oklahoma is in a position now to where if they're to win the next game, they can get some momentum going here, guys. Colin. Oh yeah. I I look, I I think Joey touched on it perfectly. I think this is a, a turning point from both a team and recruiting perspective. And, I mean, from a TCU perspective, I mean, Oklahoma's going to have a bye week to prepare for them, and TCU is coming off a loss to Kansas State, who had to play their true freshman quarterback, Will Howard, who, as we all know, I'm very high on, but at the same time, he is still a true freshman. So, TCU, if Duggan can stay healthy, is a very good squad, but I still feel like Oklahoma has a good advantage there. And then, as Joey put it, man, I mean, there's just not very many other football teams left on the slate outside of Oklahoma State that – can probably challenge Oklahoma. And I mean, we have to mention the fact that Oklahoma and Vegas right now is still the favorite to win the the league, which blows my mind. So yeah, some, some sort of service came out with the fact that OU is sitting at the top of the favors list. So I, I don't know how it's happening, but look, man, it, it, that doesn't happen unless you beat Texas. So we'll see what happens for Oklahoma moving forward, but they had to get this one for any sort of salvageable season and they got it. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I've had multiple people that are well-known, well, I mean, they're well-connected inside the program that basically said, look, this game was huge on so many aspects behind the scenes. And they feel like this game really did show, and it was like, uh, like Rattler grew up before your eyes watching that game you seeing him close out a, a ball game to where they weren't guaranteed a victory and he kept making play after play after play that needed to be made to win. And it's almost one, one source put it to me. They learned how to win right now. They learned how to win these ball games. They learned how to fight through this adversity 
as a young group and come out on top. And that's something that isn't guaranteed, if you will. So they have to learn that stuff. And with the recruiting, they have such good momentum. Like as we, we said, Caleb Williams was at uh, in Duncanville or at the Arlington to watch the uh, Duncanville IMG game. He was down there recruiting a couple of guys, if you will, or hanging out with the families. Uh, he's just uh, he, he he takes Oklahoma's recruiting to another level. There's a chance that he is watching Bryce Foster this week. It's a game that I was already going to be at. Colin and I are supposed to be potentially going down to Houston here in, uh, this week uh, and checking out some ball games. Uh, so uh, the, I find that the guy is just relentless. And having somebody on your side, regardless of a one and two start and now two and two, that helps. That makes your recruiting process as a for the coaching staff that much easier because you have a guy that's committed to doing that work behind the scenes that's already part of the class. He's their age and he is the leader of that class. So uh, I, I that that that's huge for Oklahoma. I think they found a special player in person in Caleb as far as recruiting goes. I think that's it's a rarity to have a guy that, that leads like that in a class, regardless of their position. So, uh, it, it, the, the Oklahoma's pretty lucky in that aspect with the 2021 class. Now they're trying to work on the 2022. Um, obviously they just got Luther Burden, the five-star wide receiver. We haven't even talked about that. That was huge over the weekend. So, uh, a lot of really good things going on for Oklahoma, uh, on the recruiting trail. They've got a lot of momentum. People are really starting to like the fact that Spencer's young. You have Chandler Morris, and you also have uh, Caleb Williams coming in. That's three pretty good quarterbacks that are freshmen and or going to be freshmen the next year in Caleb Williams. So that 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 shows you that they're pretty good at set at quarterback for the next four or five years in Norman. So maybe six years. So that that's that's huge. Uh, as far as recruiting goes, that can help out in so many aspects, both sides of the ball. When you're good at quarterback, defenders want to play for a team that has a good quarterback because guess what? They know they're going to have points. If they have a bad game, they're going to have backup at all times. That's that's such a an understated aspect of people always wonder why Oklahoma does good recruiting defenders. That's why. Because they're bailed out. If they play bad, if you have a good quarterback, you're bailed out, right? So uh, it, that that's an understated aspect of recruiting, in my opinion. Uh, finally, guys, uh, I guess that's going to do it for us, but we just want to talk about we got 75% off ends today on OUinsider.com. Uh, so for $26.85, you can get $110 worth of VIP. So basically almost $100 off. You get one year of VIP membership. Colin has a bunch of recruiting notes coming up in the next couple of days. I've got some team and recruiting notes coming up all over the next couple of days. We have uh, the VIP chat. We will have uh, the report cards, all that coming up on OUinsider.com. Uh, so there's so much information that you can't get on just regular old websites that we do for you guys on OUinsider.com. And you get to talk with thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, OU fans 24-7 on the VIP board or the Owen Field board. I mean, it's constantly, it's a busy, you won't find on our front page, our first page on the message boards, you won't find a thread from 24 hours ago. That's how busy it is. It is busy. People are talking. People are having fun. People are bantering. And they're all talking OU football and recruiting. And you can be a part of that too for only twenty six eighty five. But that ends today on OUinsider.com, and I'm talking about on the 12th. So hurry up. Midnight tonight. That is over. We're going to have this podcast up here pretty soon. Uh, any last words, guys? Joey, you got something? I think we've covered it pretty good. Uh, this is a situation for Oklahoma to kind of reset this week and uh, I guess attack the second half of the season here. So yep. uh, Oklahoma, if – uh, they're ready to go in Fort Worth and um, are able to win that game. They could really be headed in the right direction, guys. As bad as a bad a start as it's been and as negative as uh, some of the things that have been said and that obviously we've criticized the program, things could be headed up, guys. Yep. Five, five-star wide receiver Evan Stewart. Five-star basketball target Damian Collins. Four-star Savian Bird. Four-star Cam Williams. Four-star Jalen Early. 
uh, five-star Kamari Wilson, three-star Remington Strickland. These are all guys that I'm going to have stuff on this week and more, and including Brandon's content, RJ's, Joey's. Come join us, OUinsider.com. You're not going to get better content anywhere else. It's just we got a lot of fun stuff coming, man. It's been a whole lot of hard work, but we hope you come join us because we put in a lot of work for it. Yes, sir. Basketball season right around the corner, too. Yeah, yeah, and they're going to be a pretty good basketball team. Uh, we can talk about that on the next podcast for sure because I think that's an interesting topic. Yep, twenty six eighty five. 75% off ends today. Join us, guys. I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Uh, that's going to do it for myself, Colin Kennedy, Joey Homer, Brandon Drum, signing out. Thank you all.